Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. The case you're about to hear today was heard by patrons first. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, go to the link in our show notes or even our Instagram bio. And from there, you can join and enjoy all the perks of being a patron. Welcome back to The Murder Diaries. I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. Today's case is about a young woman who was living out her dream as a senior at Ohio State University. So close to graduation, Reagan Tokes was waitressing until she could put the psychology degree she was almost done with to work. It's after work one night in February of 2017 that she went missing. She had been abducted, taken away in her own vehicle. It didn't take long to zero in on a suspect, thanks to DNA. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. On February 9th, 2017, a man pulls into an entrance of the new Scioto Grove Metro Park. It had just opened nine months earlier outside of Grove City, Ohio. He just so happened to be turning around to go back to the coffee shop that he had just left in order to get some items that he had left there on accident. That's when he noticed what he thought was a mannequin beneath the thin snow cover. What he came across wasn't a mannequin, though, but the naked body of a murdered woman, So he calls 911 and the officers responded immediately. Investigators were able to determine that there were two gunshots to her head. At first glance, officers didn't know if the woman was murdered and then dropped off there or if she had been shot where she was found and left for dead. What they did know was that the woman was likely in her 20s. She had a tattoo of a circle on her side and she was wearing a necklace that could possibly help identify her, but they didn't find anything at the scene, like a wallet that might have had her name on an ID card or a credit card. So were they able to find anything at the scene? They didn't even find any shell casings at the scene from the gun. Nonetheless, did they find any ID or anything else for that matter? They ended up searching the park up and down for a purse or a wallet, anything that might have belonged to her. This was to no avail. That's when Grove City PD Lieutenant Davidson put out a call to the dispatcher asking them to research any missing persons cases that might match the description of this victim. Grove City PD also put out a teletype message to what Lieutenant Davidson calls the network, describing the victim and soliciting any info on any missing persons that match the description. Luckily, this teletype effort was a success. Columbus PD received that teletype message and they contacted Grove PD to let them know that the description that they put out of their victim matched a missing person that they were looking for, Reagan Tokes. Reagan Delaney Tokes was born March 13, 1995. She was born to Toby and Lisa Tokes in Edgewood, Kentucky, and she was raised just outside of Toledo, Ohio. Her little sister, Mackenzie, describes her for Palazan, saying that she had so much energy and personality. She was full of life. Her mom tells Dateline that she was vivacious ball of energy. When she was growing up around the age of seven or eight, her dad took her to an OSU football game. She was so excited by all of the adoring OSU fans and the feeling that attending that game gave her. She looked up at her dad and she told him that she wanted to go to school there. He told her, you get good grades, I'll do my part. And she made that dream come true for herself. She followed through. 
A decade later, after she graduated from Anthony Wayne High School in White House, Ohio, that's where she went. She earned a 4.5 GPA, which in the U.S., that means that she basically got straight A's, top marks, and she took advanced placement courses on top of that. She also earned four varsity letters in tennis, and she played lacrosse as well. So it was no shock when Reagan got accepted to OSU in 2013. And in fact, it was the only college she applied to. While she was at OSU, she worked towards a degree in psychology. She planned to get a master's degree after that. Her family tells us that her goal was to help people, and specifically, she wanted to do that in the mental health field. Just as expected, since she was seven or eight years old, she loved her time at OSU. She met a boyfriend there, Jake, that she didn't end up ending things with as their time at OSU was coming to an end, but the split was amicable, though, and police cleared him from having anything to do with her being missing very quickly. Lieutenant Davidson says that he was, quote, crossed off the list. Going back to how much she enjoyed her time at OSU, her sister Mackenzie posted a video of Reagan at an OSU football game from November 26, 2016. Reagan's emotional in the video, and she's crying because it's her last football game as a student at OSU. That's how much she loved it. Unfortunately, from that video, Reagan would be murdered just two and a half months later. By the time her remains were found on February 9th, just after 10 a.m., Lisa and Toby had been looking for the firstborn daughter since she hadn't responded to any of their contact attempts for well over 12 hours. The last thing she had told her dad before that was, I'm not sure if you remember, but I'm not going to be able to talk much because I have to work, but I'll call you after work. That after work call never came. This was obviously not like Reagan. She spoke with her family all the time, and she specifically spoke to her dad pretty much every time she got off of work. That's why her dad was so worried when he didn't receive that call pretty much right away. Toby tells Palazan that he tried calling and texting multiple times, all the way up until about 2.30 a.m. Needless to say, Lisa and Toby had a pretty sleepless night that night, hoping that she had just gotten home and fallen asleep herself. They resumed trying to get a hold of Reagan just a few hours later, as her mom Lisa puts it, first thing in the morning. When they were still not getting a response at that time, they started to reach out to her roommates. The roommates were a bit worried too because they hadn't seen her. Her roommate and friend Kay was also confused that morning because she found that Reagan wasn't there, but they were supposed to walk to class together. She tried to brush it off thinking, oh, maybe Reagan just left early and went to the library to study or something. The roommates went on to report to the parents that her bed was made, her school stuff was there, and so was her laptop. It was definitely becoming more apparent that Reagan probably wasn't going to be going to class that morning and that she hadn't been seen since the night before at Bodega Bar and Grill where she worked. Lisa says the panic really set in for the family once they heard that her car was gone. She says she just got, quote, a gut feeling something was terribly, terribly wrong. Reagan was then reported missing by her family and roommates, and not long after, the police notified them that Reagan's body had been found. Again, that was Reagan that had been found at the park. An autopsy was performed, and it revealed that Reagan had been sexually assaulted and shot twice in the head. It was determined by powder burns and residue that, according to Grove City Detective Forney, that one of those shots was at really close range, execution style. With that information, of course, an investigation was fully underway, and law enforcement started with the surveillance footage from Reagan's last shift at Bodega Bar and Grill. They wanted to know, did someone follow her as she left? And the answer to that was no. The footage showed Reagan leaving Bodega at 
9.43 alone and nobody walked out behind her. She's clearly walking towards where she parked her silver 1999 Acura. Now, the streetlights in the area didn't have any cameras, so the footage from Bodega was all they had to start with. Investigators were also coming to realize that nobody had received any calls or texts from Reagan since she had left Bodega. They also discovered that at 11.53, an electronic counter clocked Reagan's car at Scioto Grove Metro Park. So now investigators had a two-hour gap to account for from when Reagan left Bodega at 9.43 to her being at the park. They hadn't found her car yet. It was still missing, but investigators were hoping that when they found it, it would lead to more clues as to what happened to Reagan in those two hours, that they could fill in that gap. In an effort to find the car, investigators turned to a private license plate reader database to try and see if there were any hits on her license plate. These license plate readers are basically cameras that are mounted on commercial vehicles that read license plates as they pass them. It might have seemed like a shot in the dark, but there were enough of these license plate readers out and about at the time of that two-hour gap that investigators were hopeful that it would help them find her car. And wouldn't you know, there was a hit for Reagan's car, her license plate, thanks to one of these readers that was mounted on a trash truck. This license plate reader pointed investigators in the direction about nine miles away from the park, Scioto Metro Park, where Reagan had been found. Her car was parked just like normal in an area of Columbus that has a lot of, quote, high crime, according to Lieutenant Davidson. Detective Forney specifies further that the car was parked illegally in front of a house. It's almost a little too normal since we know that she's missing. It's eerie in that way, you know? Of course, investigators canvassed the area trying to find a witness, you know, anyone that had seen whoever parked Reagan's car there, but no one came forward. Inside of the car, it smelled really heavily of gasoline, as if whoever had left the car there tried to light it on fire, unsuccessfully. Pushing that theory forward, they found gas containers in the trunk and scorch marks on the front passenger seat. Next to the car on the street, there was a cigarette butt. Of course, police collected that for evidence, and they also found an unused cigarette inside the car in the back seat. And no, Reagan did not smoke, and she would have never allowed anyone to smoke inside her car. So this was a really important finding. Remember, though, we're trying to close this two-hour gap from 9.43 to 11.53. And what is going to help them do that is ATM receipts that they found in the car. These receipts include the locations of the ATMs, timestamps, and, of course, information about the amount of money that was taken out or attempted to have been taken out. The first of the receipts was from 10.04 p.m. on the 8th. This is just 20 minutes after Reagan left Bodega. The receipt showed that she tried to withdraw $500 from a Chase ATM at 833 South High Street in Columbus, but she had been denied. The requested amount would cause you to exceed your daily withdrawal limit. Please try a lower amount. The second receipt was from a different bank and a different ATM, Huntington Bank. This was just down the street, though, from the first bank. Now, the information about this withdrawal isn't as heavily written about in resources other than they were at this ATM and she was denied for taking out money. A reenactment on Paula Zahn that showed the correct time and date on the reenactment's receipt did show that it was may have been $200. But regardless, this attempt at an ATM to take out money was at 10.15, again, down the street from the first ATM. The third and final receipt is from the same ATM that the first attempt of withdrawing money came from. This time, it shows that $60 was successfully withdrawn. It left $17.89 in her account. 
Now, when I hear all of this about the different ATMs that Reagan supposedly visited, I have to wonder if there's camera footage from them, or at least nearby, right? I mean, that seems like a very standard thing to have for security reasons. The camera footage from the ATMs was super poor quality at best, but they could tell one thing from it. Despite the lackluster resolution of the footage, they could tell that Reagan wasn't alone. The figure that was with her was sitting in Reagan's passenger seat, and the footage showed them as shadowy at best, but the police could tell that there was definitely someone with her. Without being able to identify this individual in the footage with Reagan, police turned to the gas cans that were found in Reagan's trunk. They wanted to find where they may have been purchased from. They went to upwards of 18 gas stations to try and find one that sold gas cans like this. The cans weren't all they were interested in, though. There had recently been a string of violent attacks in the area in the weeks prior to Reagan's murder. And the investigators wanted to know, of course, if they were related to Reagan's murder. In one of the attacks, a 68-year-old named Josie was attacked in her own garage while getting into her car. A man with a hood pulled down low and a mask pulled up to his nose snuck into her garage and viciously attacked her. He was beating her and punching her in the face. Josie said she landed on the ground, helpless as he kept attacking her. She screamed as loudly as she could, and this ended up stopping the man's attempt to force her in her car. She stayed on that ground screaming, and eventually the attacker, coward that he was, fled the scene in fear of getting caught. In another instance, a woman was attacked named Julianne. She had just returned home from a weekend trip, and as she was getting her luggage out of her own car, a man approached her with a gun. Julianne turned around, and she found herself face-to-face with a pistol. The attacker asked her for her purse, hit her with the butt of the gun, and her glasses flew off her face. The attacker then took her purse and ran away. All Julianne knew was that the attacker was tall, wore a hood and a mask, just like the man that attacked Josie. These attacks are just two examples of the five attacks that happened in the area around the time Reagan was murdered, and they all progressively escalated. That obviously worried investigators because now they're worried that this person may attack and even murder again. What's more is that Julianne's attack happened just two days before Reagan was murdered. Again, it's obvious that there was some serial offender responsible for these attacks and Reagan's murder. Investigators just needed to figure out who. Which leads me to wonder about that cigarette butt found by Reagan's car. Did they find any DNA on it? Like, what is the situation with that? Of course, the cigarette butt that they found outside Reagan's car was sent in for processing. And the forensic lab that processed it ends up calling the investigators to let them know that not only did they find DNA, but that it got a hit in the DNA database. It matched a man named Brian Goldsby. Lieutenant Davidson actually even knew this guy, and he knew him because he worked on a case involving him not even a decade earlier in 2010. That case, according to the lieutenant, was very similar to the string of recent attacks that happened around Reagan's murder. That time, he attacked a woman who was eight months pregnant as she was getting her two-year-old out of his car seat. He put a knife to her throat, and he vulgarly forced her, this extremely pregnant mom, to perform oral sex on him. Then, while threatening the life of her toddler, he forced her to withdraw money from an ATM. The woman did survive, as did her toddler, and she was obviously frightened from what happened, so she didn't end up testifying against him in court. Brian received a plea deal in this case, and he was paroled less than six years later. Detective Forney says that he was disgusted that Brian was already back out after such a heinous crime. Now that investigators have the DNA matching Brian Goldsby, what's next? Do they arrest him? What's going on? Tell me. 
Investigators wanted to make sure that they built a strong case against him. Part of doing that was linking the gas cans to the convenience store. Remember, they hadn't found it yet, but they did finally end up finding the convenience store that sold these little bit more unique gas cans. Surveillance footage from that store ends up showing Brian buying the gas cans there that night. So now we have not only the cigarette butt linking Brian to Reagan's car, but now the gas cans. When Lieutenant Davidson was looking at the footage, it took him almost no time to recognize Brian. Remember, he knew this guy, and there was no questioning that it was Brian in that footage. At this time, Brian was actually living in a halfway house, and he was taken from there back into custody. This is when a huge discovery was made. Brian had been wearing an ankle monitor this entire time. He was still wearing it when he was taken back into custody. The problem now was they weren't even sure if this ankle monitor had GPS enabled. And this is all from Detective Forney. Regardless, Brian was brought in. And he actually even asked investigators how they caught him or tied him to Reagan's case. And they told him the truth, that it was from the cigarette butt. That reaction to me tells me he only cares that he was caught. As Detective Forney puts it, he was acting, quote, as if he knew better. Brian does end up confessing that he abducted Reagan and forced her to drive to the ATM machines, but he repeatedly denies murdering her. In his first story, he says that he left her alive at Scioto Grove Metro Park. Then the story changed. And this time, instead, he blames a friend for her murder named TJ. And I honestly, I don't even know if TJ is real or someone he made up. I have audio from the time he's telling this story about TJ. And it's not the best, but here it is. Again, that audio was not the best. So I do have the YouTube video linked in the show notes that has captions. But what Brian is saying is that TJ at the park tells Reagan to walk, then tells her to stop, and then shoots her from behind once. She falls, and TJ walks up to her, and he shoots her again at close range. He then goes on to feign tears and not understand why TJ killed her. Police, based off their evidence, believe all of what Brian is saying, except they don't believe TJ did it. They believe it was Brian and Brian alone. Brian is describing what he did through TJ. Detective Forney says it really was easy to tell that he was just trying to deflect the blame. With this in mind, investigators made sure to listen closely as Brian then described what happened after Reagan was murdered. He says that TJ, who, again, they really just believe is Brian, went through her purse and just threw out her phone. And that the gun and the shell casings were then discarded in a storm cellar that was nearby the park. Brian says he then dropped him off at his apartment, giving the location of TJ's apartment and everything. This is all while maintaining that he didn't sexually assault or murder Reagan, that TJ did. Couldn't they disprove this whole TJ theory with the ankle monitor? Were they able to get any data from it? Tell me about that. Well, the ankle monitor definitely showed that, yes, Brian had been walking around near Bodega Bar and Grill on February 8th, right when Reagan was leaving work. At first... He's traveling at like a walking speed. Then suddenly, his rate of speed increases dramatically. As if he's in a car. 
as if he was in a car. Reagan's car, if you ask Detective Forney. The GPS had been enabled on Brian's ankle monitor, which again had been in question a little earlier. The GPS tracked him to the ATMs around the same times that matched the receipt on the ATMs in Reagan's car, just after 10 p.m., closer to 10.15, and closer to 10.30. In between those ATM stops, Brian's GPS shows him stationary for 12 minutes, around 12.18. He's standing in an alley, and this is where they believe he sexually assaulted Reagan. At 11.14, it tracks him at a Sunoco gas station. Don't come for me. I'm not familiar with that gas station, so if I'm saying it wrong, again, don't come for me. At 11.41, he's tracked at a Turkey Hill gas station. And finally, just after that, he's tracked at the Scioto Metro Park where Reagan had been found. As expected, there was no data from that ankle monitor that tracked him to where he said TJ's apartment was, which is where he had claimed to drop him off. This solidified to the investigators, of course, that there was no TJ. Brian was charged with kidnapping, sexual assault, and aggravated murder of Reagan. As one can imagine, Reagan's family was in disbelief when they discovered that this guy had an ankle monitor on the entire time. They were left to ask, how? How could this happen? All while they were left to grieve, using strength in their faith and perseverance to get through the best they could. Lisa Tokes poignantly reminds listeners in her interview that grief is a slippery slope, that it can turn into darkness very quickly, making you angry and bitter and mad at the world. Or there's light, and you can reach for that like a life rope and hang on. Brian's trial started in March of 2018. The defense didn't even try to push the TJ story. They were just trying to get the death penalty off the table, basically. Something else disturbing came to light at the trial when Brian's girlfriend testified. He had appeared at her house the morning after Reagan was murdered to give her a present. That present ended up being Reagan's black Kate spade purse and white wallet. This was, of course, unbeknownst to her at the time when he gave it to her, but she didn't find out until after his arrest and police confirmed it for her. The prosecution, of course, held that Brian acted alone and abducted Reagan that night after work, forced her to the ATMs, sexually assaulted her in that alley, and then shot her at the park, just like he had said TJ did. In a heartbreaking, that's not even a strong enough word, but I don't have a better one, discovery from the trial, it was released that Reagan's last words were, I just want to live. Brian was found guilty and sentenced to three life terms in prison without parole in August of 2018. After the trial, the GPS from his ankle monitor also linked him to the attacks that happened prior to Reagan's murder. For that, he was sentenced to an additional 66 years. In May of 2013, as the trial was dragging on, Reagan's family accepted her psychology degree that was awarded posthumously. After doing so, they released the following statement. Reagan Delaney Tokes wanted to be a Buckeye since she was a little girl. Today, her dream became a reality as she was awarded a diploma from The Ohio State University. As her parents and family, we are so proud of her and her accomplishment. It is heartbreaking that she was not able to accept the diploma herself, but we are so grateful to the university for presenting it to us to accept for her. The opportunity for a college education is a gift. Along with this gift, one must also have desire, dedication, discipline, and determination. Reagan had all of this and then some, and so did all the other students today who received their diploma. We congratulate them on their achievement and ask that they take their gift and use it to make a difference in this world, make it a better place as Reagan wanted to do, but now isn't able to do so physically. 
She has made a difference in this world, however, and her spirit all around us continues to do so. She has inspired so many to get involved, to bring about change, to love and care for one another, and most importantly, to restore and affirm their love for God. Love is ultimately the only thing that matters, and love never fades away or dies. Love is also the most important ingredient of success. Without it, life echoes emptiness. With it, life vibrates warmth and meaning. Even in hardship, love shines through. The love we have for our daughter allows us to celebrate her accomplishment today and find the strength to continue to live our lives and try to make a difference in the world ourselves. Love overcomes everything, including evil. Once again, our family has been so blessed by tremendous generosity and kindness the entire community has showered upon us this visit to Columbus. We are so humbly grateful for all the generous contributions and gestures that have been done for us and our family. Our hearts are constantly being replenished by all these acts of love. Reagan's family continues to fight hard in the way of the Reagan-Tokes Act. This has unfortunately faced some challenges in this year, specifically in 2022, but ultimately this law allows for the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction to object to the release of inmates convicted of certain violent crimes upon completion of their minimal sentences. And it was also described in the Paula Zahn episode I watched that it changes the way violent offenders on parole are monitored. In the true spirit of, quote, evil doesn't get to win, as Lisa Tokes says, the family also started the Reagan Delaney Tokes Memorial Foundation, which has awarded over $300,000 in scholarship support to well-deserving students. Reagan's family is humbled and grateful for all the support provided that allows them to keep Reagan's spirit alive and shining and blessing others. And we certainly hope that we did that with this episode. Make sure to follow us on all of our socials at the Murder Diaries pod and click the link in our show notes or Instagram to get more Murder Diaries content on our Patreon. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.